You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to call in the ancestors to join us here today. I call in these spirits to gather around us. Um, outside of place and time, whatever time it is that you listen to our proceedings here today, I call out to your ancestors as well. May all those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful in your ancestral line and mine be with us here today. And I call out in particular to the dreamers, to those people who dreamt for their communities, those people who dreamt for their families, those people who dreamt powerfully for themselves, because we are exploring in this time dreaming. What does it mean to be born of the dream and to be a dreamer who is dreaming reality into existence? This is a profound responsibility. And we ask those ancestors who understand this from what they did and from what they didn't do. We ask them to be with us here today that we might do a good job, that we might heal what is broken, that we might balance what is drastically imbalanced, and that we might bring grace and beauty to the world through our dreaming. So we call out to these ancestors to be with us here today, to gather around and to hold us well, that we might come to know what we need to know, hear what we need to hear, and that what needs to be spoken will be spoken. So we call out to that great ancestor, that ancient ancestor, the earth. We call out to her in the wonder of her dreaming, this great being, the earth, and we give thanks to her for place, for home, for connection and groundedness, for belonging, interconnection, and oneness with all things. We give thanks to her for the dreaming that manifests all life as we know it on this planet. We give thanks for the miracle of this day and being part of that life. May we learn from the wisdom of the earth how to be in our life with the grace and interconnection and uh, responsibility and accountability of an ecosystem where every part of the system is simply being what it is in its own true nature. And in the doing of that, others are supported in theirs. May we find that way to be here on this earth and be here in a way that is good for all living things. So with our feet firmly planted in the ground and taking a stand in this day for what it is that we love and what we believe, we reach up through our hearts and our minds, through the sky, through the atmosphere, and out into the cosmos and reach all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you call this power, call it down. Know that it doesn't matter what name we use. What matters is that we draw it into ourselves, bringing in all the wisdom of the cosmos, bringing in protection and blessing, bringing in prayer bringing in the generosity and benevolence of our universe, that we call these energies in, that we might remember what is actually going on here, that we might open our minds and our hearts to the bigger picture, and then we might realize that there's always more than we think happening, and that from that perspective of this great oneness of the divine, 
that there is a way in which everything is a gift. So we give thanks to the divine presence within us. We draw the energy of the sky down in our body and the energy of the earth up and let these energies merge and dance and be together within us in the great yin-yang balance of life. And we let this dance be that dance of big love. And we know that we are born of that love as are all things here in this experience of physical form. And yet in this experience of physical form, we must remember we are humans and we have a responsibility. So let's call in the energy of the heart. And we ask the energy of the heart to be the crucible that it is, to bring in the powerful passions of the belly that carry within us the program, the code of our soul's purpose. And we bring in the energy of the mind and the clarity of the mind to break that code into our own understanding of why we are here. We let that cook in the heart that we might extend from the heart into the world our gifts. And then we, we might choose to act and to be in the world in a way today that brings our unique gifts to the world. So with all this spirit energy gathered round, I give thanks for their assistance on this day. And I give special thanks to Jean and to Simbi and to all of those of you who have donated to the show. I give thanks for those of you who are willing to allow yourself to be moved by this show or to be irritated by the show. I don't really care that you are moved in any way by the show to allow yourself to take that next step, that next shamanic step to let the movement in your heart move you into action. And I deeply appreciate those of you that allow yourself to be moved into action to donate to the show or to send in questions. And I hope in this year that we can move to a place where this show is 100% listener supported. And so that this offering can go out further and further out into the world. Your donations are welcome. Your questions are welcome. And I ask you to continue to share the show with others that they might um, – come to to find what is meaningful for them and to grow and so in this way the show grows and is available uh, for us to continue to understand to ask the question why shamanism now why should we bother what does it have to offer us and so for those of you that don't know who might be listening for the first time you can go to whyshamanismnow.com to the website and click support, and that allows you to donate any amount of money, large or small. Every single dollar goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And um, I give thanks also to Co-Creator Network for being such a lovely, um, synchronistic, and heartfelt home for the show. So for all of the energies that allow the show to be in the world, I give thanks. And today is part two of a show we began last week on the shaman, shamanism and dreams. And so we're into the part two of this show and moving in to talking about um, shamanic interpretation of dreams and a shamanic understanding of what dreams are and where they come from and how we could interpret them. So if you missed the first part of this show, um, what, what is in part one is talking about different ways of interpreting our nighttime dreams and a movement from a, a more psychological understanding of that into a more shamanic understanding of that. Um, and in particular, where we got to in part one 
is the understanding that regardless of the system we're using to interpret dreams, that dreams are a message. One way or another, dreams are a message. We all pretty much agree on that. And then beyond that, not only are there different systems to use to interpret dreams, well, there are different types of dreams, and different systems are sometimes more effective for interpreting different types of dreams. And that as we work with our dreams over time, we can develop a sense of feeling for when a dream is a Jungian dream and will help to interpret it in a more a psychological Jungian interpretation. And when is it a shamanic dream? And when is it a garbage dream? When is it just the anxiety of the day detoxing through our body? And when are we having nights, night after night after night filled with garbage dreams and we're not giving ourselves the quality of sleep um, needed or making the choices through the day so that we can have the quality of sleep that we need to be able to develop our relationship with our dreamer. Because one of the things that we talked about last week is from a shamanic perspective, your dreams will notice that you are noticing them. If you're ignoring them, either because you're choosing to ignore them or because you're not getting remotely enough sleep to be able to remember them and pay attention to them. I mean, sometimes it's, it seems completely innocent that you don't remember your dreams. But is it innocent if you're the one that's making the choices that, you know, keep you sleep deprived? I mean, where's the responsibility here? So the point is your dreams notice you noticing them. The more they notice you noticing them, the more they come. Because if you're listening, they'll bring the next message. If you're not listening, they just repeat that same message again and again and again. Okay. So that's pretty much where we got to. And now we're going to move into um, looking at dreams, well, having acknowledged that there are many systems to interpret dreams and they are all valid, applied to the right kind of dream. That there are different types of dreams, there are different systems for interpreting dreams, there are also shamanic systems for interpreting dreams. And once we move into that realm, we also have to acknowledge that there are different states. There are different dream states. So there's sleeping dreams, there's waking dreams, there's daydreams, there's visions. And that from a shamanic perspective, these are, are not necessarily different. I mean, they are different, but it doesn't matter, I guess, is the point. The point is a dream is a dream. A message is a message. It doesn't make it better or worse where you got the message from. The point is you got the message and what are you going to do about it? That's kind of more of a shamanic perspective. So I think that summarizes where we got to. So we're talking about a particular shamanic perspective on dreams with the understanding that even in the realm of shamanism, we now have as many systems for interpreting dreams as we have shamanic cultures. So once again, this show, neither of these shows is about defining what's right but about opening up your awareness um, to the possibilities uh, for dreaming, dream interpretation, but also your understanding of your need to do it. Um, one of the things that came out of last week is simply the reminder that your nighttime dreams are a gift, that it is an opportunity every day to get messages about the right way to live. The, the right choices to make in life. It's, it's right there every day. And, well, every night, every 24 hours. 
But the important thing is that um, you need to cultivate that relationship with your dreams. Okay, so shamanism. So what I'm going to share with you is a perspective um, shared by a man named um, David Coombs, who now lives in California. He is a South African MD, an author, and the founder of Inward Bound. Um, And David studied with an elderly Zulu Sangoma shaman. And uh, David shared much of what he learned about dreams um, in 2008 at the Society of Shamanic Practitioners Conference. And what I would like to share with you today is just some of the really interesting uh, ways that David shared the understanding he gained about dreams in the, from the Zulu uh, perspective, from this uh, Sangoma. So... Um, well, and the reason that I selected this uh, apart from others is that what, what David presented really beautifully is the idea that there are non-helping spirits that can influence our dreams. And this is a big departure from normal Western dream analysis, which says every part of the dream is a part of you. Now, shamanism, and and especially sort of um, shamanism 101, says, well, it's a part of you and your helping spirits, and most people can go there. And then that extends from helping spirits to your ancestors. But now once we extend to our ancestors, now things start to get messy because we have our ancestors that have crossed over and are available to us as ancestral helping spirits, and we have ancestors who are stuck here in the realm of the living and are effectively ghosts and can then function as intrusive helping spirits. So now we've already got to that issue or gotten to the issue of non-helping spirits. The ancestors that have crossed over and are available as helping spirits are helpful helping spirits. Those that are stuck here in the realm of the living are non-helpful by definition, among other energies that are simply here with us in the middle world that can be unhelpful. Um, Some because it is their desire and some because we are so out of good relationship with them, they cannot help but be unhelpful because we won't reconcile the relationship in such a way that they can do what it is their true nature to do. So these are different reasons the um, David did a really good job talking about this, and and in Zulu shamanism, there you know their sorcery and witchcraft, uh, not Wiccan but witchcraft in that in the Zulu world are problems. That there is an an understanding in the Zulu cosmology that there are energies in the world that are not life affirming, and that they. Um, are present, they can affect our dreams, and that in particular, David said that anyone who is making an effort to do good work in the world will be challenged. And I know that as I was listening to David, I realized the extent to which I, like many people, West, Western people, had this naive idea that our dreams were sort of sacrosanct, somehow that our dreams were... Um, safe from intrusion 
And, and yet at the same time, as I was listening to him, I realized that I knew that he was right. Um, not that Zulu interpretation is right, but that the idea that our dreams can be as vulnerable as we are to intrusion from non-helping spirits is a really important idea to become aware of. And so not only are we talking about dreams and the dream figures, the beings in the dream and what's happening as being um, not just a manifestation of the person dreaming, but now we're talking about the idea that the, the dreamscape, the dream world could be uh, polluted in a sense. And this was um, what was so interesting to me about David's presentation at the conference and also David's constant reinforcement of the idea that there is nothing that can't be counteracted by being impeccable yourself, by living with no fear yourself, and by staying in the light, which is how David said it. But what he meant by that was really like the 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 true the, the love light of true awareness that David did a really good job of not posing this as some simplistic battle between dark and light because that awareness in and of itself is profoundly non-shamanic for the exact reasons we're talking about with dreaming which is the darkness is one half of the whole picture of power positive heart expressed power that it is the yin time it is the dream time it is the journey time it is the underworld journey to meet your helping spirit to have the ego death i mean really really critically important things happen that nurture the health and well-being of the human soul in the dark shamanism deeply profoundly understands that and hangs on to that so does taoism and this is the awareness that to be simply light focused is to miss the point entirely, frankly. So David did a really good job of, of constantly reminding us that though um, things we thought were somehow protected could be polluted, as he would say, that we could counter that through our own impeccability, our own fearlessness, and our own commitment to staying in the light, in the, you know, the love light of our own conscious awareness. And my sense from shamanism is that the effort from a shamanic, as a shamanic practitioner to, to stay in that energy requires constant healing, constant transformation, and constant work to go beyond the person that you were before. And I have to apologize for the flicker that is deeply committed right now to nesting on the ridge beam of my home and is now trying to peck a hole in the roof to do that. And there's nothing I can do right now. So that background is the flicker um, endeavoring to live with me in my home. Uh, anyway, on to David. Okay, so David explains that indigenous Africans believe that dreams are true. And that they are as real as what we experience in our waking state. And furthermore, 
David explains that dreams are a gateway to a field of non-localized kind of space-time information. In other words, they are a gateway to non-ordinary reality, non-ordinary information and experience. And this is really important because I'm going to talk here in a minute energetically of the dream itself. In a way, it sits in our life as a gate between us, our, who we are, our energy, and the bigger energy. So it is a gateway. It, it allows the message to come in, but it is still a gate, and it has all of the challenges that any gate has. So but what's important is to understand it as a gateway to a field of non-localized space-time information. At the same time, we each have a unique symbolic language. That's what I call it, but David was talking about the same thing. And that your symbolic language is the language that you dream in, it's the language that you daydream in, and it's the language that you journey in. Um, And this is uh, why, you know, a dream dictionary isn't really going to interpret your dream for you because you have your own symbolic language. So David explained this in a really wonderful metaphor. He explained that from a, from a Zulu perspective, your symbolic language has basically two parts. And he, shared, he interpreted his teacher's teachings in a computer metaphor, which I thought was kind of funny. So what he tried to explain, though, is that your, symbol, your symbolic language, each of us, our symbolic language, has a hardware aspect to it and a software aspect to it. In other words, if you think of a symbolic language as a bunch of images and processes and symbols and stories, um, in a sense, the hardware is talking about the ones that are there. They're old. They're, They're sort of given to you by the nature of your birth. And then there is the software, which, well, and the thing about the hardware is you need it. You need those images. It's like the machine language. It's like the I, I need that basic symbolic language to begin to even operate as a human. Right? So that's hardware. Software is um, debatable. Right? So software offers symbols and images and stories and processes that go in the symbolic language, but they're not fixed. They're mutable. Okay, so hardware then, it comes from your bloodline, right? It comes in your genetics, comes in your DNA, it comes uh, with the karma. Now, this is the, these are, this is the Zulu perspective. So it comes in your blood, your genetics, your DNA, your karma, and a kind of a core consciousness. And I guess I would say this would be like, like I just said about the machine language, that what you need to understand about life just to get a human being booted up going. And so there's a certain archetypal understanding, archetypes being patterns of energy that exist in our universe before humans and they'll be here after humans. In other words, we have lots of drama around the archetype of mother, for example. But there are mothers here without humans, Animals have mothers, right? And so mother isn't bound to humanity. It's it's an archetypal pattern that exists in the cosmos, the birthing of things, right? The 
the um, conception of things, that these energies between mother and father are out there in the universe, whether we're here or not. So that's, that's the kind of um, energies, symbols, and pieces that are part of our hardware from a, a Zulu perspective. The software then comes from our culture, of the time that we're born into. There are certain sort of cultural downloads that came if you're a child of the 60s that were very different than if you're a child of the Depression, right, in using American cultural moments in time. Um, software comes from myth as well in that sense. You know, there are people – we tend to use myth and archetype in the same – as the same thing, and they're really not. Myths are stories, just like culture is a story. Religion, education, conditioning, and life experience. So this is all software, and yet the software and the hardware come together to present these sort of preset. So my symbolic language is my presets for symbols and images and processes that then get cutted, cut and pasted and photoshopped together to create my dreams at night. Now, for those of you that journey, this is also true for journeying. These are the images the spirits are using to create your journey with you. Um, but we're just talking about dreams. And so there's this um, – so the symbolic language then gets cut and pasted and photoshopped and, and cobbled together to create your dream experience. Okay. Now, this is what's really important when we start to talk about shamanic dream interpretation. The question is, who is cutting, pasting, and photoshopping that dream together? Now, in Jungian analysis, that answer is simple. It's the person's own unconscious energy, their soul communicating with them. For yeah, They might not go there, but basically, right, it's the, it's the individual. But from a shamanic perspective, it's not just the individual. It can be the individual. It can also be the individual's helping spirits. It can also be non-helping spirits and energies. So this, so this is what we have going on here. So first you have what is being used to make up the dream. So if you think of a dream like a collage, great collages start with wonderful images and, and incredible found objects. Right, and they get put together, great collage gets put together in a really amazing way that gives all of those bits and pieces a deeper meaning. Well, it's kind of like a dream, right? Now, but if you start out with, with, with mundane, banal, uninteresting images and um, found objects that uh, there's just nothing you can do with them to make them interesting and you cobble those things together – you're going to get, you know, it, it, it's like you're giving the person who's the energy that's creating the dream nothing to work with, nothing at all to work with. And so that's the first piece here that we're looking at is your symbolic language, the hardware and the software and how that comes together um, to give the dream creator the substance to work with to cut and paste and Photoshop together. Okay, now the second issue that we're looking at is who is cutting and pasting? What is the energy that is the dream creator? We always assumed the dreamer was also the dream creator. But what if that's not the case? What if the dream creator can be other energies? 
which brings in the third issue is that what you can – the third issue is what you can do about the quality of the images being used and the quality of the dream creator. In other words, to put that more directly, I can influence my software. My hardware is somewhat fixed, but my software is complete, can be completely influenced. So the most profound influence on my symbolic language and my software, my ideas about reality, came in my spontaneous initiation. And in that three-day experience, stuff in the software got deleted and other stuff got put there. And so that got changed for me. And so what I do in my teaching, especially in particular in the four-year training, because it's very tricky to do this work. It's not simplistic. You can't do it in a weekend. But what I'm really looking at, and one way to think about the work that I'm doing with people in the four-year training, is getting into the software and deleting any bad code that keeps them from their true nature, their soul's purpose, and living it. Because there is a great deal that comes from religion, from culture, from certain mythology, from our education, from our conditioning, and from our life experience that teaches us things other than the truth, which is that you are a face of the divine, you are here to be a unique expression of that energy, and you have this one lifetime to do it, so get at it. And in the meantime, while you're trying to take care of all of that, you are a dreamer, and you are dreaming reality into existence. That's what's going on here. And our software needs to support that. And so the third issue here is not just the fact of the symbolic language and who's cutting and pasting it, but you can have an effect on that. And so one is what's in your software and how you affect that. The other is living in such a way that makes you impervious to influences in your dream time by non-helping spirits. Now, because you've invited your helping spirits to help you, by definition, they're helping spirits, they're going to come into your dreams and continue to shape with you your dreams. But the important possibility here is for us to learn to live in a way that the non-helping spirits are not able to invade, to pollute, and to influence our dreams. And in other words, to divert us from our course. I cannot tell you the pain as a teacher of watching a student sit there and tell me about the great truth they got in their dream, because of course dreams are sacrosanct. We would never question that some we're being influenced in a negative way in our dreams has told them to divert from my teaching and go elsewhere, which the going elsewhere thing is fine. But what I'm watching is that student be diverted by outside forces when they're two steps from grasping the truth of who they are and what they're here to do. Because we are tested. We are challenged. We are 
going to be asked in those critical moments to step away and it's going to seem reasonable, rational, and clear. And this can happen in dreams. And this is what I thought was so powerful about David's presentation. He was helping us to really get a grip on the fact that that there we will be tested. And in our own dreams, which most of us think are completely sacred space, that in our own dreams, we could be diverted from our true path, from our true nature. And it is painful to sit here as a teacher and watch that happen. Because there's nothing you can do at that point. Right? You're going to tell a person not to believe in what they think is their own truth? You can't do that. So when I watch it, I'm watching it today. Watch it all the time. And so... The point here and the beauty of what David offered is help us to understand what is going on in our relationship with our dreams as an energetic person dreaming in an energetic reality and how do we become impervious to the best of our ability to non-helping spirits influencing our dreams and our messages. And it's probably true that whatever we say right here about dreams would also be true about our own journeys. Um, So wasn't this so much easier, this idea of your nighttime dreams, when you could just assume everything was an aspect of you and go along your merry way? Life was so simple, right? Yeah, well, ignorance is bliss. So moving right along. So moving on deeper into what David offered about this perspective about dreaming. So think about it this way. We, humans, are just a big blob of patterned energy in a vast field of energy. And the dream, remember the dream is a gateway? The dream is an interface between that blob of energy that is you and the vast field of energy that is everything else. Um, And so the dream, in a sense, rests on the border between you and not you. And so then as, as we got from David, there's, there's this sort of dream apparatus, the hardware, software, cut and paste, Photoshop thing that exists in the field that's connected to the dream. So the dream apparatus goes, right, and creates a dream and poof, you have a dream at night. And, you know, you all saw Inception and you all know that time works differently in your dreams and all that stuff is really interesting and true. But for now, let's just think about the dream and the dream apparatus you blob of energy and a bigger blob of energy and that dream there kind of straddling that boundary between you and everything else. And then that dream itself is connected to that dream apparatus. Okay. So you got that picture? Okay. So from a Zulu perspective, then you want to reinforce the boundaries of who you are so that you are not permeable to intrusion by non-helping spirit energies. So from a, a Zulu perspective, you do not exist by yourself. And John Lockley talked about this in, his, in the interview we did with him. Um, it talks about there is no true individual independent of everything else. And so the individual is surrounded by the extended family is surrounded by the social forces, um, the community. And yet within that community, there can be sorcery and witchcraft from a Zulu perspective, not Wiccan. Um, 
pollution, um, uh, uh, invasive and in, intrusive spirits, and the spirits of the dead who have not crossed over. And so that's where the boundary gets a little bit wobbly. And so um, what's important then is that we understand we have these two places where we want to cultivate our imperviousness, to be impervious to non-helping spirits um, invading our dream situation. So invading us and in particular influencing our software and getting involved in being the energy that is cutting and pasting and photoshopping the dream that we're having. And it's important to understand two things in terms of energy from a Zulu perspective, that the light, what I've been calling the, the love light of true awareness, because I don't want to get into this whole simplistic idea of a battle between dark and light, but this sort of true love light of pure awareness, the more you can relate to that energy in yourself, in your own energy blob, the more you can cultivate your boundaries and your refinement of that energy through your practice. So now I'm talking about yoga, qigong, tai chi, the energy practices that are designed for you to purify, refine, and cultivate the the love, light, true awareness in your own energetic being. Okay, yeah, it's a big blob of energy, but you affect it constantly. And you can refine that energy so that it is inhospitable to life-denying um, energies. And that is an important piece of reason for our daily practice. That practice, David defined as the firewall, back to the computer metaphor. Your practice, your refinement of your energy, your relationship with this quality of light, your own impeccability, and your own willingness to not drop into fear, to not operate out of fear-based systems. All of these things come together to make you impervious uh, to the influence of non-helping spirits in your life and in your dreaming. And so the positive thing here is developing your relationship with that light through your practice, through the way you think, but also back to your software by deleting code that does not resonate with that higher truth that you got from religion, from culture, from education, this whole list that I've gone through three times already on the show. So that's the positive piece you have at your fingertips in every moment is your relationship with that energy, your impeccability, and your cultivation of fearlessness. All right. The other side of this is recognizing that envy, envy, jealousy, envy, jealousy is at the root of almost all of history's sorcery slash witchcraft in the non-Wiccan sense, in that negative sense, in that damaging sense. And so that envy, jealousy energy can block anything from happening. And that is why it's not enough to decide we're good and then move on. That that the act of goodness, of kindness, of cultivation with the light, of Aini, of allowing yourself to feel and be moved by the heart, 
all of these energies, this constant state of being and way of living is necessary to cultivate imperviousness to the influence of non-helping spirits. Evil inclination, envy, jealousy, these energies can block anything. So now, where do they go? The most frightening thing, David said, as far as I'm concerned, is that they can go right in and directly Photoshop your dream. They can cut and paste. They take your symbolic language, so it's all going to feel right to you because it's your symbolic language, and simply cut and paste a dream that is going to give you an errant message. And the more your software contains lies about who you are and what is true about your life, the easier it is for energies to do that because it's all right there already in your software, in, in, the, in the prefab images that are ready to be cut and pasted and photoshopped. And this is the power of what we're doing in the four-year training is to change what's in your software. So that is not available. It is no longer available Because that's where those stories are. I'm a victim. I'm a this. I'm a that. Those stories are all stored right there in the software for these energies to come in, Photoshop, cut and paste, and give you those dreams. And that is the reason it is important for us to cultivate imperviousness to these types of influences creating our dreams for us. So these energies can come in and obviously influence the software. These energies also can influence your relationship with the light to the extent that you perceive of this um, true love, light, true awareness, energy outside of yourself. These um, envy, non-helping spirit energies can influence your relationship with that, your cultivation of that energy through your practice and your allowing your growing awareness and evolution as a person to influence what's in your software. So that's the energetic setup. And so the things that support you in imperviousness is your own cultivation of your own true love, light, awareness, energy, your own daily practice, cultivation of that energy, your uh, the strength of your reconciled relationship of your family around you, which can be your blood family, or it can be your chosen family. Not everybody gets born into their real family. That's kind of a non-shamanic idea, but it's the reality of our lives today. So your family around you and your community around you, that these all, um, if you cultivate those relationships, can support you. The important thing is, at the community level, though, it is also the place that begins to bring in some of the, the challenging energies. Okay. So, what David talked about then in terms of shamanic understanding, given this basic awareness of energy, is and, and the constant reminder that there is nothing that can't be counter counteracted by your own impeccability, your own refusal to live and believe in fear-based systems of reality, fear-based stories, because stories become dreams and dreams create reality, right? And number three is your willingness to do what is necessary to stay in that true love, light, awareness, energy. Okay. With that said... 
He also said that if you are doing meaningful spiritual work in the world, you will be opposed. And this can be a good thing. That there will be testing. There will be envy and jealousy. And that guilt in that dynamic, any guilt that you feel will make you sensitive and vulnerable to witchcraft and sorcery. So your own unresolved emotional energy. In other words, your debt to your yin time. So now we're back to the yin energies. Your debt to that makes you vulnerable. What is unresolved? Your guilt. These energies make you vulnerable to those non-helping spirits that would then influence your dreams and, and presume then to give you messages that feel right because it's your symbolic language. But it wasn't created by your soul and your helping spirits. Okay. So, uh, what's important, David says, what's important is to stay aware and to know that this is always a possibility. And so, as you engage in your dream interpretation, to constantly keep in your awareness that possibility that there are non-helping spirits influencing your dreams. And be conscious of that. And don't exclude that possibility. So, dreams from uh, the perspective then, uh, this shamanic perspective of Zulu shamanism. So that dreams, there are different forms of dreams. Okay, so one form of a dream, um, there are different kinds of messages and then there are different sensory aspects. And all of these dynamics come together um, as you learn your own internal classification of dreams. Um, I think I talked about this last week, but you need to develop your own sense of when dreams are a basic psychological dream. When is it a garbage dream? When is it a shamanic dream? When is it a Jungian dream? You know, what kinds of dreams are you having and how do you interpret them? But the general thing is dreams are messages. Now, the dreams we really want to pay attention to are the dreams that are trying to make a point or are a warning of some kind. And from a shamanic perspective, not just in the Zulu world, but in general from a shamanic perspective, these dreams come as nightmares or as a recurring dream, a dream that you have again and again, or as a visitation. And that's a tricky one, but nonetheless, it can come as a visitation where the, the helping spirit or the being steps right into your dream and just speaks or communicates in some way. Um, sometimes in the dreams, uh, to the, the effort to make a point or the warning coming in uses other channels. And so you might have had a dream you don't really remember, but now you hear a particular line in a song. Um, you're experiencing something. I was actually experiencing my partner reading an email to me, and I just burst into tears. Just, just right in the middle of Barnes & Noble, it was very embarrassing, burst into tears because the piece of that email was resonating with a dream and something else. So the point is, the message is coming in on other channels to try to get you to notice it. And then finally, the, one of the most dramatics is speaking in tongues or some other language to get your attention and make you really work hard to get the message because you need to get the message in the dream. Okay, so with that said... Then, dreams, from a shamanic perspective, have a certain kind of form. 
there's just the dreams that you've had in the last 72 hours are the ones that are the most current messages. Now, an apparition, this is the problem because is it a visitation or is it an apparition? Uh, but an apparition is, is sometimes considered a bad sign. Or, or another way to say that that's not so judgmental is just a sign that there's non-helping, helping spirits merging into your dream time and influencing your dreams. And we don't want that. Dreams that unfold as acts of a play or like acts of a play are often considered to be prophetic dreams. It's staged, right? It's okay. Some dreams carry within them simply after the dream a sense of knowing or clarity that is kind of like the net result of the dream. And that's the form of that dream. There's other dreams that um, involve animals, uh, power animals, landscapes, seascapes, uh, basically elements of the natural world. And these are often dreams that are communicating about the form of the dream is a power dream. It's communicating to you about power that you need. Um, There are also dreams that come... um, with icons and and now we're now it's tricky again because that persona could be a very important message or messenger but the other side of it um it could be an imposter so once we have beings essentially coming into our dreams now we need to be concerned you know like he said it's important that you stay aware and know that it's there is the possibility that non-helping spirits could be influencing your dreams so you never know with this whole icon, persona thing. Dreams often include words or songs or quotes. I mean, isn't it amazing that you can have dreams where you create an entire song you can't possibly remember the next day, but it's all there, fully formed, fully scored, fully everything. You know, how do we do that? Um, Another form of a dream is getting mail, since that's in our symbolic language now, getting mail or getting someone else's mail is interesting. And then there are also dreams that sometimes occur in other realms or in other lifetimes. So these are these are different forms. They don't necessarily have a message in and of themselves. They're the form of the dream. Now within the form is the message. You know, except for that dream that has that sense of knowing or clarity where the the form and the message are sort of the same. Otherwise these are there are forms of dreams, and then the other thing to look at is the message in the dream. Is it a warning? Or, um, is whatever spirit is communicating to you, including your own potentially, trying to make a point? Um, is it a nudge, something you know you need to do that's being – you're getting nudged a little bit to do it? Is it an instruction or a teaching? Dreams can be an empowerment, particularly if – you're having one of those dreams about power animals, landscapes, ge- you know, mountains or geographic places, seascapes, that, that these can be about the power that you need to allow in to empower you. Um, the message in a dream can sometimes be that there are intrusive spirits in your life or in your dream. That's important to know. Um, a the message in the dream that that there is something that you need to tend, to keep track of, um, that you're you're cultivating something that's going to come to fruition later. Um, so these are tending dreams, and then of course they're garbage dreams. 
which are just in and of themselves, it, it's just, you know, a bad day. If all you ever have are garbage dreams, though, it's speaking to the fact that you're not cultivating, you're sleeping and you're dreaming time in a way that is necessary for you to receive the messages that need to come to you through your dream time. So once in a while, garbage dream is life all the time, every night means you're caught in a pattern in your life that is not healthy for you. Your choices in and of themselves, in other words, are, are, are toxic for you. That's, that's what it means to have chronic garbage dreams. So then the other aspect of beginning to classify and understand your, your own dreams is, the, is looking at the sensory aspects of the dreams. So one of the big um, distinctions in shamanic cultures around dreams is, is it a big dream, meaning a dream that is for the community? Or is it a little dream, meaning it's a dream that is for you? They're important messages, but it's understanding on what scale that happens on. Um, There are some people that are really called to be dreamers for the collective. And there's a whole lot of people that think they're called to be dreamers for the collective, and they're not. Um, You know, the example that I have shared before, actually, which I'll share very quickly, is that at one point in time, a man contacted me because he thought that what he had to offer as a teacher and what I was offering as a teacher would come together to create a wholeness that would be unbelievable and that we should work together. And here's my book. And he sent me a book and I, and I got to give him credit for getting the dang thing published, but there was nothing in the book that had the ring of messages for the collective. The book was simply everything anybody gets when they first connect with spirit. We all get the same first messages as we connect with spirit and they're not meant for anybody else. They're meant for us. And there are certain people that just have this idea that, that they have to speak for the collective. And that's only true if I've experienced people speaking for the collective, divining for the collective or dreaming for the collective. And it makes your skin gives you goosebumps and makes your bones vibrate. That, that you get what it means to be in the presence of someone communicating a big dream. It's real. Everything else is for us, people. Everything else is for you. No matter how, no matter how the message is conveyed by spirit to be outward, you need to integrate it first. And in the integration of it, you will become the person who can then share it. And that's one of the things we need to understand about big dreams and little dreams. But anyway, where was I? Right. Uh, the, so the sensory aspects help us understand big dreams and little dreams because big dreams are often intensely energetic, colorful, they have a numinous quality, they are unlike the magnificence of our normal nightly dreams. So they're they're on a scale that is just enormously grander than our general range of dreams because dreams are already in a range from garbage to phenomenal. And a big dream is is phenomenal cubed seven times. You know, it's incredible. Okay. So in the dreams, there's also clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, um, looking at the intensity of dreams, looking at the, the empowerment or the kind of the kundalini energy infusion in a dream. There are presences or energies in the dream, and that's where we need to begin to determine, is this an intrusion 
or is this a helping spirit and what's that? And then there's also fear quality um, in dreams or the nightmare. And, and one of the things I've experienced throughout my life is that nightmares are not bad. What I've experienced is nightmares are simply my dreams being forced to yell at me to get my attention. Um, I think that the actual things we need to be concerned about in dreams, and this again was what I found so insightful about David's presentation at the conference, was that the actual invasive and intrusive nature into our dreams is not the nightmare. It's simply the fact that some other energy is is um, sneakily cutting and pasting and photoshopping a dream for us, maybe even repeatedly, that seems normal. That we wouldn't even guess that this wasn't coming out of our own psychology because it's using our software, it's working with all of our familiar ideas tapping into our own fear-based thinking, using the places where we're not impeccable and we're not open to the light and handing us dreams that are perfectly crafted for us to not notice how the non-helping spirits are influencing us. So that's the thing for us really to take, I think, from a shamanic perspective about dreams is that it's not the intense scary nightmare dreams we need to worry about it's the ones that make it too easy for us to turn away from the path of our soul's calling the path of our heart and to do something that seems more profitable or rational when what we want to be able to look to our dreams for is guidance for how to go forward to live our soul's true purpose to know what that is in our dreaming and to live it. So this is the end of part two of our talking about shamanism and how shamanic people understand dreams and how we would interpret our nighttime dreams. Um, So I want to give thanks to David um, Cummins for his um, offering at the conference of the Society of Shamanic Practitioners that we've used today as an example to get into the um, different dimensions of how shamanic people look at dreams. We give thanks to Michael Harner for his offering of the principles of um, core shamanic dream principles. And we give thanks to Jung and, and all of the people that have worked, have given over their lives to help us to understand our dreams. And may we simply make choices in our life so that we can have them and we can use them, then we can listen to those messages and allow ourselves to be guided um, in this organic um, and deeply human way uh, towards living our soul's purpose. So I give thanks to the helping spirits for joining us here today and helping me to uh, endeavor to make sense out of such an important um, topic in our lives. I give thanks to the dreamers that have gone before us and to all the ancestors who've gathered around for us here today. I give thanks to the earth below, that original dreamer for life as we know it. I give thanks to the sky above and for the protection and the blessings that we draw from it. And I give thanks to the heart. I give thanks to the heart because it unites us all, but also because the heart knows the dream. 
The heart knows why you are here. May we all go forward today in a way that gives our heart just a little bit more credit for its wisdom and guidance. So thank you all for joining me this week. Um, You can find out more information about the show at whyshamanismnow.com, more information about my classes at lastmasscenter.org, and more information about healing sessions with me can also be found at my website, lastmasscenter.org. Thank you all.